listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. I'm Kim McRae, uh, most know me as Cookie, my nickname that I can't get rid of. And um, I own a boutique SAG after talent agency in Nashville, Tennessee. Prior to, I worked in freelance film production as I started out as a PA, um, became an AD, DGA, and also casting. And I did that for 15 years. And now here I am as an agent. And I... Um, I think that's it. I have three cats. That says a lot. <laughs> uh, Kim Cookie McRae, welcome to the Make It Podcast. Thank you for having me. Anytime. This has been a long time coming. Uh, I was originally um, sort of hit up by uh, Dean Shortland to to have you on this podcast. He said, "This is this is like uh, a long time ago," and he was like. Uh, you know who would be great on this, right? And I said, I, who? And he I said, he said you. Saying that. <laughs> yeah, he said you. So, but no, so, I'm hearing his voice right now. Like, can you do an impression of Dean? Uh, his I Australian accent. I cannot do any accents. <laughs> That's why I'm not in front of the camera. <laughs> speaking speaking of being in front or behind, you you started your career behind the camera, and you've worked on films. Uh, that include, but are not limited to, The Green Mile, Traffic, 21 Grams, Elizabethtown, The Legend of Bagger Vance, Country oh. Strong, Blues for Willa Dean, and many more. Um, and you've had lots of roles. You started off pretty young in the industry. Uh, you were born in Kansas City, Missouri. How did you, how did a girl from Kansas City, Missouri end up in the movie business? Where did you find that IMDb? I write the notes to I find am, out where I, I actually so, got each note. I am so damn nervous and I will talk over you. My apologies. I'm one of those. Um, and yeah, everyone should know I'm a human being and I'm, I'm nervous. Okay. Um, I was born in Kansas city, Missouri, go, um, uh, chiefs and go, uh, Royals, even though I watch, um, neither sport. Um, what was the question? <laughs> well, uh, per- perhaps I didn't phrase it well, but the, the question is, how, does, how, how did you end up in the movie business coming from the Midwest? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, how did I end up in the movie business coming from the Midwest? That is a very good question. I was born in Kansas City, Missouri. My family moved to Ohio when I was two. Um, if you've ever been to Ohio, you would know why I left. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually the summer before my senior year, my parents, we were at a pizza hut. I'll never forget said we're moving to Tennessee. Now I grew up in a very small town in Ohio and it was devastating, but it was the best thing that ever happened at the end. So, um, I, we moved to Tennessee and I was in East Tennessee and, um, 
in Knoxville, miserable, working for my father's company part-time and going to a community college part-time. My major was business. I never finished, but I love numbers and I was just not happy. You know, I, I think I, I, I think one almost is born uh, as one who can either sit behind a desk and under fluorescent lights, you know, nine to five, or they can't. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm the latter. So while I love numbers, in fact, I, I used to have dreams about numbers. They would chase me in my sleep. I don't know what that means. Um, I mean, almost every night, but I'm picturing I, the Jim Carrey movie, uh, that where he was, uh, what's the name of it? Was it, was that movie actually called numbers? I can't remember what it was called. But anyway, Jim Carrey was was drawn mad by yeah maybe twenty three yeah he was yeah he was driven mad by numbers. I'm picturing you that way right now. I love Jim Carrey, um, but yeah. So uh, I one would think I was destined to be an accountant uh, because I love numbers and that was my focus. Um, but my heart wasn't there. Um, and a film came to town called October Sky. Actually, back up a minute real quick. Um, and I, I can talk for hours, so I'll try to just shut me up when you need to. Um, uh, I wanted to be an actor because I, something very traumatic happened at the age of 15 and I won't go any further without crying. And I turned to film, TV and music and, um, I thought, okay, I want to be an actor. Um, and then, I sent my uh, uh, like a picture of myself to a an agency, a talent agency in Knoxville, and I got a postcard back like I'm dating myself before email. A postcard back saying sorry, you're you're not fit or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, so um, then I um, ha- I was going to audition for this play or something the Bijou theater in Knoxville. And I had all of my lines memorized and I walk in and they were like, all I could see were three shadows behind these cameras and lights. And I froze and ran out. And so right then and there, I just said, well, it's not going to be that. Um, so, um, but I always knew I wanted to do it. Um, I'm getting off track here. Uh, when I saw Jurassic park in the theaters, that was the movie that, made me realize this is what I want to do. I was alone. No one else was in the theater. And I was watching the end credits and I thought someday my name will be in those credits. I don't know why it was that film. Those films are actually not the kind of films I gravitate towards. And, um, but that's the film that did it. Um, then fast forward a few years later and I'm in East Tennessee and this movie comes to town, this universal film, and I sign up to be an extra and I guess I wasn't good enough to be an extra. So I was, you know, pretty persistent and I, I ended up working in the extras casting office and, and booking the extras, uh, alongside Kim Petrosky and, um, her associate out of Chicago, um, for this universal film that Laura Dern was starring in, who was in Jurassic Park. So it was very weird. And actually, now that I think about it, Chris Cooper, who's from Missouri, Kansas mm-hmm. City. Um, and then Jake Gyllenhaal was a teenager being schooled on set. So that's how old I am. <laughs> no, it's fascinating. And and so um, 
Did I answer the question? Well, I think so. What was the what was the reason uh, your dad told you you were going to move to Tennessee? He was starting a company um, with without getting into too much um, um, yeah, um, that was a very traumatic time. Um, uh, he was um, my dad, we moved a lot growing up. Mm. It was like we were a military family, but we weren't. Like I remember my favorite house in Ohio, it was um, on like this 15 acres of wooded area. I'm so sorry. Um, if you can hear my cats, I'm terribly sorry. Um, it's totally fine. Um, and, um, and one day I, and I could have this wrong cause you know, when, when you've had traumas in your life, one knows that you kind of block certain things out and remember only certain moments, that sort of thing. Um, but, um, I remember there were a lot of woods, so there were tr- limbs falling, you know, in the winter or whatever in the fall falling on the roof. And he was like, oh, we're moving. I'm tired of cleaning these up. And so we moved literally a mile and a half down on the same street. <laughs> and then this house had a pool. So I think at one point maybe it was a nightmare cleaning the pool. I have no idea. I just know that he was starting a company in Tennessee and announced to us at a pizza hut that we were moving to Tennessee. And it was just like, we're moving to Tennessee. And I had, thir- uh, I'm sorry, 73 people in my, my class. And I had been going to that school since kindergarten. Wow. And so next thing you know, my senior year, I'm at this school in East Tennessee with 400, I think, in my class. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have that. I kind of had a 2020 graduation, I guess. You know, I didn't celebrate with anyone. I didn't know anyone. Right. So. So that was a, a, a game changer for you. So there's so much to, to dig into there um namely the thing that stuck out to me was that uh, here you are watching jurassic park it's a very popular movie but you were in there alone uh why 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 were you in there by yourself well i you know while it was knoxville it's it's still it was a small town um and I also, while I used to be a very social person, I was going, it was at a time in my life where I was lost and movie, film and TV was my escape. Um, it was where I could go to be safe. And so I would usually go during times when there weren't many people there. Mm-hmm. So there could have been a couple of people in the theater, but no one ever stayed for credits. <laughs> like, um, so maybe there were one or two or so, but um, it definitely wasn't a packed house. Um, nowhere near it. Cause again, I would go at these odd times where I knew no one would be there. So um, it was almost like a safe, a safe place for you. Absolutely. Um, 100%. And it is interesting that you were fascinated with the names on the screen, the credits themselves. Mm-hmm. What, what was it about the names and the credits that really made movies magical for you? 
how many people it took together or took to put together something. Um, because I don't like to be in the spotlight. This is the first podcast I've done. I don't like being interviewed. I don't like doing workshop or I can't do workshops uh, per SAG rules, but I can, um, participate in them like judge. I don't like to be in the spotlight, but, um, so it wasn't necessarily about, I mean, yes, I, I do remember thinking I want to see my name in those credits, but it was more about, I am highly intuitive. Um, I think maybe, and this is a great question because I've never really thought about it. That's a really great question. Um, maybe I knew those people would make me feel safe and they would be like-minded souls who I wanted to be around. I'm not really sure. It wasn't when I say I wanted my name to be in the credits, it wasn't because this splashy thing. I mean, there was an element of always wanting to, to prove along the way to my family that I had a real job. You know, I would book my dad as an extra just so be on a set and see me working. You know, I'd introduce them to Tom Hanks and Dolly Parton and all these people. But then in between jobs, when are you getting a real job? You know, it's like, <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, that's a great question. I don't know how to answer that except to say um, maybe just subconsciously I, I knew that being around all of those names I saw scrolling down after watching this, you know, great film. I wanted to be with, you know, working with those people, not those particular people, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. And you, you go on to, and remind me again and remind the audience what you said, a universal film came through. What was the film? That was October sky. October and that was sky. what was weird because Laura Dern was starring in it. And, and actually a good friend of mine, Natalie Canterday, she was the mom in Sling Blade where she's one of my best friends. She was in it. She played Chris Cooper's wife and Jake's mom. Mm -hmm. um, I hear they teach it in science classes now, so I really feel old. And Jake was like 16 and being schooled on set. This was long before – this was the late 90s, you know – they wouldn't hire 18 plus to play younger, but anyway, yeah, it was a universal film called October sky. And I, I, thanks to Kim Petrosky, um, she probably regrets it. Um, she hired me and, um, the rest was history. I moved to Nashville and she then hired me on the green mile and it just kept going. Well, that's the part I want to dig into a little bit more, which is, so here's this young girl from the Midwest displaced, um, finds movies as an escape. Um, not necessarily, uh, in love with, uh, this new environment in school. You go on set to become an extra. Don't make it as an extra, which is a story within itself. Right. Where, where did, where did you find the courage and persistence to, get Kim's attention to, to get hired on as, as a casting assistant. Oh boy. If I told that story, um, I could, Oh boy. Um, maybe I should just put it out there 
because there, there is in this business, you know, you have to, we can talk about that later, but part of this business is luck. Mm-hmm. Um, it just is especially, and cause obviously now I'm a talent agent and I'm not doing freelance production anymore. I can't for SAG. Like I, I no longer, you know, I had to say goodbye to the DGA just to make all that clear. Um, so we're talking about prior to, you know, me becoming an agent. And I know there may be a lot of people listening that want to hear me, actors hear me talk about as an agent, what I do, but, 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 but then, you know, I did work in freelance for 15 years. So, um, but it is a funny story. So I'll just tell you, um, so my my dad's company, I won't say the first two words, but it was blank, blank casting, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a casting company. Well, I just ruined the story. Shit. Um, <laughs> so I go in for an interview and, you know, Kim is thinking, I'm, I don't know her, you know, I was just insistent, you know, I was like oh, calling the production office every day. And, you know, I just, I wanted to work on this movie and, you know, how often, you know, a movie, I don't, you know, know the last time a movie had, certainly not since I had lived there. Right. And they were never in the Midwest. Right. Um, and so she called me in for an interview and about five minutes into the interview, she realized she thought I had worked with some local casting company she had never heard of. And she was like, now, what is this blank, blank casting? And I said, Oh, it's my dad's business. He owns a gray and duck dollar uh, foundry. Mm. And the look on her face was like, what the hell? Um, they thought they were hiring someone with casting experience and, or uh, interviewing someone. And Mm -hmm. I had zero, I had never been on a set in my life. I had never worked on anything, music videos, commercial, nothing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about the business, but I quickly caught on. She hired me for whatever reason. I don't know why she hired me. Um, I got the nickname cookie on that show. And, um, but I guess to maybe answer your question and I think what the question was, um, why she kept hiring me. Maybe that's what the question was. Or just look, how did you, how did you, with your background and in, in the sort of personality you had up to that point, you know, how did you muster the courage and persistence to, to take that first initial failure of not being cast as an extra and then keep oh, moving forward? Yeah. I just, it was almost, um, gosh, and this gets into, you know, past trauma and all this stuff that I won't go to, but it, it, I had to do it and I will start crying, but I had to work on that movie. And I don't want to say I was a stalker. I was not, but I was very persistent. (laughs) And, but back then it was different, you know, you know, it wasn't email and stuff. So, you know, it's, I doubt a lot of people were applying, you know, and I think I remember talking to the coordinator who's a a well-known, um, UPM in the industry now, and she's lovely. And she hired me. I'll remember the Titans as an office PA. Um, it's a small world. Uh, and, um, 
I think I remember just calling the number and, you know, just saying, is there anything, is there anything? And she said, well, you know, it must've been one of those things, extras cat. But to me, it was, if I missed my chance working on that, I thought I'll never be able to like, this is my one chance. Right. Right. You got into a mind space where you were like, it's, it's now or it's never kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. And I think, um, what you said about having to be lucky is so true, but, but also part of you getting lucky is showing up. It's like 80% of it. Like just show up, be there, be in the space. And, you know, if you're a young creative listening to this, I would say, you know, get up and get out and go get something as outcast once said. And, and I think you'll get, sure. you'll find yourself in positions to be lucky over and over and over again. Absolutely. Steven Spielberg is not going to knock on your door. <laughs> exactly. That's true. Uh, and if he does, <laughs> <laughs> invite him in for uh, eggs and marijuana. Uh, so the <laughs> but you know that is a big problem. We can get into that later. Maybe I I, I do have some notes because otherwise this would be a complete disaster, and it might end up being anyway. But um, to my to my, my fault, not yours, but knowing the industry and the business itself, that, that, that is kind of part of it. Um, um, people, I, I'll not, I'm, there are many who just think, you know, Steven Spielberg's going to knock on their door and there or whoever, you know, and that's not how it works. Not, not at all. And, you know, you have, you're known for having this really unique and great relationship with talent. Um, Mm. So many people have told a very similar story about you that I interviewed in preparation for this interview. And um, it start, it started back when you were sort of building base camp, running base camp and, you became sort of an actor's confidant and, and being an AD on set at times as well. And I'm curious, what, what was it that set you apart? How did, how did you become known as someone that the actors could trust and confide in? Hmm. You ask great questions. Um, thank you. Um, because hmm. I had a, a note for this, but it wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that question. Um, like phrased that way. Um, gosh, that's a great question. Uh, first of all, I should preface by saying my husband said, please don't name drop. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to name drop. This is, But it's really hard not to when, first of all, we're all human beings, period. And in this industry, and we all, well, I'll get to some of that later maybe, but, um, and so to me, if I'm name dropping, if you will, I'm just telling a story about someone I worked with, mm-hmm. you know, it, it could have been a co-star or a supporting lead on a film, but, you know, um, I could be telling you a story, say about Melissa Leo on 21 grams, um, but this was long before anyone knew who Melissa Leo was. And, and she was a 
went on to be an Oscar winner. My point is, though, I could tell that story at one point and it wasn't name dropping and then later it was. And that's what I find unfortunate because we're all human beings and we're, we all have the same insecurities. So, but to answer your question, um, hmm. um, it, one thing I thought of this morning, I thought, Oh gosh, I, you know, I forgot that I had been told throughout my career. I never wanted to be on set. You know, I didn't, I wouldn't say people made fun of me, but if I did show up on set, like, went to set from base mm-hmm. um, to get a call sheet signed off on, you know, by who, the whoever um, it was, Oh, cookies on set. Like how's what, what's going on? You know, um, base camp was just my world. Um, and it's what you said. I, I just preferred being around actors and that could have something to do with my casting background. I, or the fact that I love film and TV and love, the process of acting and love actors. Um, uh, but I think when you can read people without sounding too weird, when you're intuitive and an empath or whatever, and you can, you know, maybe say someone feels unsafe or uncomfortable or wants to be left alone or you know how to handle that. And actors appreciate that. Um, there are a lot of actors who want to be left alone. There are other actors, if you don't have that exact breakfast for them, they will, like, throw something at you. Um, but for the most part, you know, and this gets a, a bit political, but the film industry was full of men. You've looked at those photos way back, right? Mm-hmm. It's like all white men, like, you know, crew of 20 or whatever. But even as the crews got larger and there were more women and people of color, for the most part, it's men. So it was, you know, a lot of times I found myself at base camp with female actresses, very well known. Um, and they felt comfortable with me. They felt safe with me. Um, and vice versa. Like I, you know, and so we just became family and I, I, I was always their, um, ally. I think as an, as someone in production, you're supposed to, I'm really rambling. You're supposed to be on that production side. And it's not that I wasn't, I did my job, you know, and those that don't know that consisted of everything from, doing a call sheet to doing a PR for the studio production report. I mean, lots of paperwork, lots mm-hmm. uh, keeping up with in and out times and the union roles and the list literally goes on and on. But the best part of my day was setting up actor trailers. I would get to set, you know, your first in and last out and I would put a basket of snacks, a bottle of water, their sides, the call sheet, I hear that doesn't happen as often anymore, um, which is unfortunate. But I just, their job was to be there and act. Mm-hmm. That was their job. But there is a business side to it. So there's, you know, like the co-stars and, and um, supporting roles would have big contracts that I'd have to put in their set. 
you know, I'd have to have that filled out before they went to set all this. I just wanted to make them comfortable and safe and so they could go do their job. Does that help answer your question? I think it does. And there's something to just taking one extra step forward. And I think that's what you did with how you set the trailer up. For example, you didn't have to do those things. That wasn't in the job requirement, but the extra caring that you took, um, it goes a long way and it doesn't go unnoticed, even if no one's saying that they notice it. Um, when, when you first got that job, um, as, uh, as part of the casting team on, um, red October or was it October sky? Sky, Sorry, October sky. Um, that, that was probably, that was the game changing moment. I'm wondering who, who was your advocate back then? Who was your biggest advocate? And can you tell me what they did to advocate for you to, to go on to the next job or the next job or the next job? I mean, certainly Kim Petrosky. Um, I wouldn't have a career had she not hired me and then hired me on the next job. And, you know, absolutely. Yeah. So she's, um, she sort of, drove that, that motivation engine for you into the future. And then at some point, um, and I'd love to go back by the way, and talk about, um, some of your work as an AD, but, um, um, and, and some of your work behind the camera, um, on set. I I did a little research on you and I know you love the princess bride and I worked with the lovely Carrie. So yeah, there are a couple of set stories I'm willing to give you, but there are so (laughs) many, you know, they're literally, I've had so many people tell me you should write a book. I, when I moved to, uh, I moved to LA and I ended up living with a friend's sister in Beverly Hills. And when I say Beverly Hills, I mean like, Joni Mitchell was coming over at night and we were hanging out and she was singing happy birthday to me in French. And, uh, like it was, it was Lana Turner's, uh, Lana Turner used to live there. Um, there's a song written about it, James. Uh, anyway, it was surreal. I have a gazillion stories from those 15 years. I don't even know how I ended up in a lot of these places and, um, but yeah, it would take hours and hours. And, and again, I was, my husband's like, don't name drop. Um, and I just did. Um, and again, not, not, no disrespect to Tom, but, I, but totally you have my 100% permission to name drop and, uh, with no judgment, because I think, I think, how do you tell the story without mentioning who's involved? I know. Um, it's just so it's just part of this. Just well, part that's of the thing. Like, in, and to get back to, you know, part of it, there was one movie. Um, let's just say that some things were going down, and the 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 female stars were not feeling safe. Mm-hmm. And these are huge names. Um, and I didn't either. Mm-hmm which was often the case. Um, it's funny. I gravitated to an industry that I knew would make me feel safe, but there were many moments of not, but for the most part I did. Um, and, and so it was my job. I felt my job to protect them. It wasn't my job, but that's what I ended up doing. So if the person that I won't mention would come back and, say, I want to talk to so-and-so, I'd say they're taking a nap because that's what they would tell me to say. 
Uh, I got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, th- I think, I think we just added another wrinkle into the previous answer and question as well, uh, where clearly you were, you know, if Kim Petrowski was your advocate. You were certainly the advocate for these actors that they didn't feel as safe on set. And so maybe one advocate inspires, um, another perhaps I, I'm curious, um, and we definitely will talk about Carrie Ells. I we can't yeah. not we can't miss that. Uh, and thank you for for mentioning my love for the Princess Brides. It's it's true. And uh, but but I'm curious. So you're and, and oh and everyone should be watching Mandy Patinkin. It's uh, we're going through such sad times right now. Well, a pandemic and 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 just all the sadness right now. Uh, Mandy Patink, everyone talks about Leslie Jordan on Instagram and he is hilarious. And I adore Leslie. Um, but Mandy Patinkin right now is very funny on Instagram, but go ahead. I love Mandy and I love Homeland. Uh, and, and he is, um, I, I watch, that might be one of the finest acted shows, um, uh, of all time. Um, it just, uh, they're, they're, they're two feet in, uh, every, everyone, uh, on that team. But, I, I, I had an actress on it and I I'll be honest with you because I always said I never got starstruck and I never really geeked out about a booking, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I always tried to make the bookings fun for my actors. Like it, say if an actor booked dynasty, I would call them and I'd have the dynasty music playing in the background. <laughs> um, Just these little extra touches that you do. It's, it's, it, but, um, it permeates your personality. Yeah. Um, I remember on Grayson Russell at the time he was, I'm going off track here and I know it, but whatever. Um, people who know me, know me, know that I ramble. Um, he was, um, not 18 yet. And it was rare for someone 17 to get cast, but Gary Marshall was like, he's the guy, you know? Mm. And I had known Grayson actually since he was five back when I was an AD on a McDonald's commercial in Nashville. Yeah. I, saw, I think I saw a picture that you had up of Grayson. So I, I am, I am curious though, uh, cookie, um, you've, you've lived this life behind the, the camera, uh, up to this point in our conversation. And then you made a switch. You switched, left that, that part of your career behind that, um, that 15 years you talked about and then moved over into, uh, agency and representing talent. I'm, I'm wondering what moment inspired you to do that? Um, good question. This will bring tears. So I'm going to try to hold them back. All right. Fair enough. Uh, we've got enough sadness going on right now. Um, so I was lost. Okay. Um, to anyone. And, and, and I should know, by the way, I love indie filmmaking and some of my favorite films are indie films. In fact, um, box of moonlight. Um, uh, I, I don't get starstruck often, but Sam Rockwell, when I was working on the green mile, Kim Petrosky can attest to this. And, and he was in this movie called box of moonlight that most people haven't even heard of, but I love indie film. Um, but I did, you know, for the most part, work on big budget films. Um, and what happens is, you know, you're traveling all the time. Right. And I was on the road a lot 
um, like for traffic, I went up to Ohio, uh, 21 grams. We were in Memphis and, um, New Mexico for six, you know, just all over the place. Right. Mm-hmm. And at first it was fun, exciting. And then you get older and it's like, oh, I'm really tired of traveling. And then incentives came about and it was all about chasing incentives. So at one point they were Michigan. So I was working in uh, Detroit. We actually moved to Baton Rouge, Louisiana at one point. And as soon as we did that, they moved to Georgia. You know, it was just nonstop. So I was on my last film in, uh, that I ever AD'd. Um, in Atlanta, Georgia, it was the Del Shores movie who I adore was Beth Grant and Dale Dickey, all of whom I adore everyone in that, um, Octavia Spencer, um, low budget. Um, and we were in Atlanta and I was just like, I'm done. I'm done traveling. Um, at the same time, well, no. So I was done. I, I just knew it. My heart just wasn't there anymore. I, I, I loved doing what I, you know, had been doing, but it was exhausting traveling and also exhausting, never knowing when your next job is. It's why I did traffic and a lot of other things, music videos, commercials in between casting jobs, I would take just whatever, you know, and I was really persistent to get on a show like traffic, but other things like commercials and videos in town, I would just, you know, I worked on a lot, hundreds and hundreds and just to pay the bills. So, you know, it's like, you never knew when your next job was. So all of this was happening. And then I had two very tragic deaths in my family. Um, One, I lost a suicide. um, And and, was that uh, Brian? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, He was a well-known rock climber and um, yeah, fantastic rock climber Uh, for people listening. Think of, um, the gentleman, Alex Honnold, Alex, uh, yeah. yeah, from, from free solo, Brian was right there with him. Yeah. There are a lot of records that Alex has yet to be no offense to Alex. Alex is amazing, but, but Brian would actually call me and we were very close. He was the first grandson and I was the first grand daughter and we were very close. Um, just growing up in the Midwest and both not feeling like, we belonged, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. so my grandma was a huge influence in our lives. And um, so needless to say, we both, you know, took paths that are, you know, were, you know, I'm working in the film industry and he's, you know, this rock climber. And if you look at it, I, I suppose it's a form of escapism or whatever, but um that we turned into careers. He had a successful business. He resold climbing shoes as well. And, but at one point I remember he called me and he's like, Hey, I hear they're doing cliffhanger too. And I want to do stunts on that. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, no, I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not letting you get in this business, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, anyway, so I get that call and it was 10 days after Robin Williams had committed suicide, which I was gutted by. And I didn't know Robin. I had never worked with Robin, but I, always had adored his work and just, I was devastated. And, um, then 10 days later I get the call about Brian and, um, 
And it, it actually, funny enough, you brought up free solo. It took me five years um, to finally go through Brian's things that were sent to me um, because he, you know, um, it was just Brian, grandma and I, like nobody else in the family really talked. It's complicated, but the point is a lot of his things were sent to me and um, I didn't open those boxes for years. I opened one, I think. And um, it took watching free solo. I finally got the nerve to watch it and I went through his things. And then three months later, my niece died of cystic uh, cystic fibrosis at 22. This was in uh, December. So Brian in August 2014, Danielle in December 2009 or 14, same year, sorry. And um, I um, was in grief therapy and I was out of, I, ha, I wasn't working at the time and out of boredom, I was helping a local agent here in town. Just honestly out of boredom. I wanted something to do. And, oh no, I did have a job. I'd gotten a, a sorry, a quote unquote real job just for a bit to make my parents happy. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> and, um, uh, and, I found that I really loved it. And so I remember I was in grief therapy and I was kind of describing to her what I had done in my career prior, you know, to, um, and then what I was doing now, like helping this agent and really loving it and working with actors again, but in a different way on the business end. And she said, it sounds like everything you've ever done rolled into one. And I remember thinking if my grief therapist thinks it's a good idea, then Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe it is. You know, I don't know. If some someone who knows nothing about the industry sees a connection, I don't know. Um, and so those deaths kind of crushed me and grounded me at, at the same time, if you will. And I just wanted to stay in one place. Got it. Yeah, that security of of. of- being in, in one place after tragedy, I can 100% uh, relate to that. And, and again, I know it's been years, but my condolences, that's a lot for anyone to go through in any short period of time, uh, for sure. And, and yeah, I'm, and I'm glad to see you come out of that, you know. Thank you. And, and then we were robbed at gunpoint, like literally a month and a half before I start opened the doors to my agency. I'm like, what else? <laughs> 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 Anything else you want to throw at me for? Well, I can relate I, to that. I've, I've, uh, I've, you know, we have a lot in common. I, I've dealt with uh, suicide before. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been robbed at gunpoint. Are you um, serious? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was, we have a lot in common. Yeah, I was. And um, it was. So uh, sorry. Well, you know, I always tell the story now uh, almost in a comedic way. Because mm. because it was it was so typical and so sort of funny how it happened. I mean, it wasn't funny in the moment. It was actually kind of terrifying, obviously. Um, but I was also doing something like I wasn't doing anything wrong, but I was in a place I, I shouldn't have been in. Like I had no business being there. And it was something that my mother had always warned me about sort of being in the streets and being out late and being. And so. Uh, yeah, uh, it was a good, it was a good lesson. And what's funny is I, I haven't really worn jewelry since. So that, 
that's maybe my therapy is that um, I have not bought a necklace, uh, any sort of vanity as a ring. I have a really nice watch. I almost never wear it. I always wear my Apple watch. Um, and so I, I just, I just don't give people a reason to want anything from me. And, and so maybe that all stemmed from that, but it happened pretty quick and it could have went really wrong, really fast. And, um, it didn't, and I'm lucky. Well, glad it didn't. And it's interesting that you don't wear I never thought about that. I've never worn, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of jewelry. I have some jewelry from Santa Fe. I love Santa Fe, New Mexico. I would love to live there. And, um, um, you'll never see a more beautiful, uh, sunset than in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Oh my goodness sakes. It's so peaceful and so amazing. Um, but, um, I, so I do have some jewelry from there, but for the most part outside of some like Buddhist, things that you know but yeah i'm i'm i don't wear makeup i mean most actors i rep know i work from home and i'm usually my pjs um but (laughs) i do have to get out it's like oh help me um because i look very different than i did when i had a freelance career and whatnot i just you know um but anyway uh that's interesting that yeah because i think what came from my was meditation and like, cause it, you know, it's terrifying, you know, like, um, yeah, I had just two men, they jumped my husband and I and had a gun to hit the back of his head and the gun for my, I don't even know what happened. Like I, I kind of, yeah. I remember I, yeah. I, oh. it, it's interesting that you, it's true. It's like, it happened so fast. You're not exactly yeah. sure how it happened or why it happened. Um, you know, and you try to piece back your together the pieces of well, I said piece twice, but you're trying mm-hmm. to puzzle. You're trying to put a puzzle together of a memory and say, okay, now that's a picture. That's the picture of what happened. Now that I've got all the pieces together, after I could calm down and like recollect my thoughts. Um, you, you brought up meditation, and uh, you brought up your grandmother, and uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about both of those. I'm so I'm glad you brought those up. Uh, you mentioned that. Uh, your grandmother was sort of the, your rock and, and it was you, her and, and Brian. And I'm curious, uh, can you speak a little bit to what your grandmother meant to you and, and how she uh, embraced you, how she supported you in the film industry and in and, and what you're doing today? Uh, she was my best friend and I'm not good with death. Sorry. Um, um, even though she lived in Ohio from the moment she was born until the day she died, um, I would still go up to visit her. Um, even though I hated Ohio, had too many bad memories there, but, um, she was everything. She just, and I, I can't get into too much here, but I, I just will say that she and Brian were the two who, loved me unconditionally and um well okay well focusing on my on my grandma loved me unconditionally um made me feel like no matter what I did it would be okay you know didn't question anything um 
was so excited when I told her I was, you know, going to start an agency. She um, was so proud of me. She didn't say a lot. You know, she came from that generation where you don't say a lot. But mm-hmm. um, my grandfather fought at Normandy. And so, you know, he, he and his sergeant were the only two to survive in his platoon. They, um, they landed on the 7th, the day after, on the beaches. So... Um, Lucky him. Yeah, I, I thought that for the longest time, and I will say too, by the way. Oh, I this I'm going to go off on something else for a minute. This is a because I believe you have to be passionate about film and TV, and you have to understand like um, the power of it. Um, and I did not know my grandfather growing up. He was there, but it was like he wasn't there. He almost never talked. And I can't imagine what that was like for my grandmother. He passed away in 91. So we got closer and closer. You know, she confided in me and we were just best. Like we were, we talked every, almost every single day. She was one of the first calls I made in the morning. Um, I miss those calls. Um, and, um, but, but, you know, it, I saw Saving Private Ryan and I don't, did you see that film? Of course. Okay. So there's this moment at the, you know, it's all like, okay, oh my gosh, my grandfather lived through this and it was there, you know, because I started to think about too, okay, yes, he landed the seventh, but he would have been stepping over dead bodies. Like mm-hmm. it, it was horrific. And I knew my grandma was, her mind was, I mean, she could remember anything. She journaled every day. She passed on a lot of it to me, thankfully. So I have a lot of memories, uh, like her correspondence with my grandfather during the war when they could correspond and whatnot. Um, but, um, um, you know, he, he and his sergeant were the only two to survive. And he came home and it was not good. And, and you know, he obviously, you know, it was PTSD, but that, that's not what they called it back then. Um, and so she lived with this man and we grew up with this man who never really talked. <laughs> and, um, my other grandfather on the maternal side had died when uh, I was very young in 1984. So mm-hmm. I didn't really have a, how Holbrook ended up there. I am named my, my husband's going to be like, what are you doing? How Holbrook became a grandfather figure to me because I didn't really have one, mm-hmm. but I did have a grandma and she was a huge champion. And so was my aunt Jean. Um, I should Maybe she'll listen to this. I don't know. My Aunt Jean, she had me watching films on VHS, you know, when you would record like a million, like three movies. and Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Just obscure horror films and uh, films I probably shouldn't have been watching at 13. <laughs> I, would, I would fly down to Miami and visit her. Um, right. And, but anyway, back to Saving Private Ryan. So that film was so incredibly powerful and to me because I finally understood my grandfather, but it wasn't until the end. So when private Ryan is walking, you know, there at the end, if you remember, or next time you watch it, he is walking about 20 feet ahead of his family. Mm -hmm. And that's what my grandfather did. He was never with us. He was 20 feet ahead, no matter where we were walking. He was in his own mind, and it couldn't have been pretty, you know? Right. 
and because you didn't talk about things. So when I saw that film, I walked out of that theater just sobbing, sobbing, made the mistake of driving up to Ohio and bringing my grandma to see it. That was a huge mistake. And I regret that. Um, But um, I ended up, my grandmother had given me her typewriter. I know Tom Hanks loves typewriters. Yes. Uh, uh, he was part of a documentary on typewriters. Yeah. Uh, which was so, a great documentary, by the way. Uh, I think John I Mayer was in it, too. It. I, I need to check that out. It's so, um, it's so, so good. You wouldn't I, believe it, but it, it is. It's uh, There's two documentaries I, I would recommend that aren't my favorite documentaries in the world, but on their surface, you would say, there's no way I'm watching this. Both are excellent. One is called Helvetica, and it's literally about the font Helvetica and how it got created. It's fascinating. And then the second one is um, the typewriter documentary with Tom Hanks and John Mayer. I'm forgetting the name of it now, but uh, and I wish I wasn't. I'll look at both of them. But it's, but it's great. Um, I love documentaries. Um, not Tiger King or whatever that was. I'm not one of the, I don't. I still haven't watched that. Yeah. Um, but, um, <clears throat> so I got on my grandmother's typewriter and I just worked on the Green Mile. So I had Tom Hanks, you know, I had ways to contact him and gosh, here come the name. Sorry. Uh, okay. So, um, uh, so I wrote, I typed on my grandmother's a, a letter to him and Spielberg and sent it to his assistant, thanking them for making that film because it really did. It was so powerful. I would have never, I believe this never understood my grandfather had it not been for that film because he died in 91. So it was several years later. And it was like this moment of, Oh, you could read all the history books in the world, but until you actually see something like that and can put your shoot, like I couldn't, but my, yeah, I was like, it's, it's, it's something that narrative film can do that, that no history book really or, or text in that way can really do. And that's the value of, you know, fiction or quote unquote fiction. It's, it, it, it allows us to be part of a story that's, that's, you know, sort of bigger than ourselves. My, my grandfather was in the military uh, until he retired. And the yeah. first thing he told my dad was never join the military. And huh. it's, and the, the interesting thing about that is he was very proud of being in the military. Yeah. It wasn't that he uh, hated his time there. He, but, but very much to what you said, um, being in the military, you, you can live in a different mind space. That's all your own based on experiences you don't want anyone else to know about or experiences you don't think you should share with anyone else. It's, it's really quite powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Um, I, and, and thank you, by the way, I know it's, it's tough going into these stories about your grandmother and about Brian and, and how they supported you and, and in the past. So, so thank you for that. I, I do know that, uh, um, that it's these kind of stories that, that make your clients, your talent that you represent, love you so much. And you spend a lot of time with, 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 um, it's one of the first things we said, uh, when we were talking prior to this, uh, to prepare for this interview is that half the people we've interviewed on this podcast, uh, you represent. And, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, I'm curious what traits, 
um, or behaviors uh, or attitudes, you, you can define it. Do you find um, your most successful actors share? And, and are those traits easy to identify? Oh, my. Wow. You, you're really good. Okay. Um, Mm. Um, I think they have to be authentic. I think a really great at, you know, there's, um, they're authentic and, um, um, uh, bold, um, uh, traits. I don't know. Cause I think they're all, everyone's different and everyone has their thing. So that's kind of hard for me to, Put together. I can tell you how I sign people. Would that help? Yeah, absolutely. What makes me sign someone? Um, and and I can I can use a few examples. One would be uh, Grace and Russell. Just a translation from or transition from production to becoming an agent. So I Grace and Russell's this actor who I I. I met when he was a five-year-old kid on a McDonald's commercial. Um, and then, you know, he went on to play Will Ferrell's son in Talladega Nights and his mom and I kept in touch throughout all of this time. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. sorry, the wimpy kids and, or the, that franchise and whatnot. And the next thing, you know, I'm repping him. In fact, he was just in a Tom Hanks movie, Greyhound. Um, uh, uh, that was fun booking him on that. Um, I had a fun phone call doing that one. Um, cause he worked like eight weeks on it. Um, wow. of course now they can't release it in theater. So it just moved to Apple. Um, but anyway, um, so it was, you know, you know, rep repping him. It was almost like full, full circle. If you will, I don't really know. You know, it was a kid I'd known since he was five, you know, so I know this kid and I know what he wants to do and his career path and all that. And and I've also watched him grow and maybe change his mind here and there. But um, I remember the first time I booked him, I finally got to you know play that role. It was interesting. And it was Mother's Day. It was Gary Marshall's last film. Um, he had done a bunch of them like Valentine's day and a whole, I don't know, a whole bunch. Um, and, um, Julie Roberts and all these people were in it and, and, and Grayson was not 18 yet. And, um, so he didn't have my cell phone and I called his mom and I said, Hey, does Grayson have my cell phone? And she's like, no, he won't mind me telling the story. And keep in mind, Grayson is from Alabama and I cannot do a Southern accent, but I'm going to try. Um, even though I've lived here for 20 some years. Um, so I, the character's name was Tommy. And so I called a cell phone because I knew he wouldn't know who was calling. And I was like, is Tommy there? Um, no, ma'am. I can't do it. Never mind. <laughs> no, ma'am. You, you have the wrong number. Are you sure? Is Tommy there? No, ma'am. He's being very polite, very Southern. And like the fourth time, I'm like, it's Cookie, your agent. You booked the role of Tommy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, But I always try to, for the most part, book people in a unique way. I can't always do it, but I try. But anyway, what I I look for, I, I go with my gut. Like people often ask me, um, specifically, 
first, you you know, what, what I don't do is sign someone who sends me an email, like a selfie in their bathroom and, a, you know, whatever, just paragraph of, I just click delete. That's all I'll say. Got um, that's good. That's just, good to know for those out there listening that are looking for representation. No selfies in the bathroom and be and a good also, writer. Like say, you know, I'm getting emails that are like, um, even if they do have all the things that they should have in there, the IMDb link, or um, if they don't have one, at least, you know, um, a resume and a headshot. Um, also, just like, don't start off with, hi, I'm so-and-so and I want to be an actor and I hear you're the, you know, blah, blah, blah. And can you help me? Like, acknowledge, like, what's going on right now? None of us have work. You know, we are unemployed in our industry. You know, it's just this. uh, So those I click delete on immediately. Sorry to those listening. Sorry, I do. Um, But I also don't want some long novel about, oh, my God, you know, whatever. Anyway, um, so but for the most part, it's like earlier this week, I signed Dave Alford. He's mostly known for being on probably Nashville, but he went to Juilliard. He's an incredible actor. I've known him when we were talking and we realized we had known each other 21 years. It, we worked together on this pilot Amanda Costanza directed called On Music Row mm-hmm. to, uh, and, and then worked together throughout, you know, on several films, five, I think. Um I said, dare I ask how old your kids are? <laughs> like I was afraid of the answer. Um, and so, of course, I'm going to sign Dave Alford. I was honored that he wanted me to represent him. And I could say that for Jeremy Childs and many. And then others, it's like I and Ted Welch. I, I know you have you know Ted well. And, and Love Teddy. Friend of the show. When Ted contacted me, I was like, uh, yes, please, yes. I would love to represent you. Um Valerie Jane Parker, same thing. Josh Childs, mm-hmm. Jeremy Childs, yes. Um, and then, like, say, take Dean, because you brought him up, I think, at one point. Um, uh, um, or I know he's been on the show. I had actually just signed Jamie Bradley, and I was watching some of her material, and I, I called her. I was like, who's that Australian guy, like? You know, I want, I I want to rep this guy, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so it'll be that. Um, but so it's kind of a combination of referral, you know, or people that know me for a long time. Um, but I also do go to events, to actor studios, you know, I don't like to, no offense to them. I love them. If any of them (laughs) love them. But I don't like it. They're very crowded generally, and I don't like crowds anymore. I, I used to not mind. I don't now. Um, and um, so if I see a kid or an actor in you know, a short at, say, Fourth Wall or, or NES, they have a workshop every summer. They used to, um, I guess, this summer, you know, with what's going on, not. But um, – that makes me sad. But so, you know, I'll see someone and, you know, and I have meet greets too. I, I do. Well, I won't now, but when those will come back. Right. And, and I guess if I wanted to dig in a little deeper here, it's like 
for your talent that gets the most bookings, what is it about what they are doing that's getting them more bookings than let's say the, you know, if there was your own sort of Pareto's law and and there was an 80, 20 rule there and 20% of your talent is, is booking the majority of the business. What are they doing that the other 80% are not? Oh, good question. Um, Oh gosh. Um, I had notes for this and now I can't use them because you're asking great questions, but it's, um, I'm, um, trying to think how to, okay. So one, you've got a certain group of actors who you just know they're going to bring it every time. Got it. They're just going to bring it. Um, and so they're probably going to book or come close to booking. And I should know it is incredibly difficult to book. I mean, there's that old saying of, you know, how many working actors there are. And it's like, I don't know, it's less than 5%. You know, most people are not, they do not make their living acting. Mm -hmm. And that, that is something that I wish more actors understood. But, um, so there's a a portion that are just going to bring it. And then there are others who I can, I can tell just to put a lot of time and thought into it. You'd be surprised how many, um, well, well, not, um, research, say I send them an audition request and, um, one, understand how hard that was to get. And mm-hmm. two, not research, like the, pro- even if it's a pilot research, the players involved, I go, you know, and I, I kind of go the extra length and every self tape appointment I send, I'll have a link to the project, you know, the variety story or whatever. Right. Um, if it's based on a novel, like I just had some kids read, I can say it because it's been announced that they're doing it. Are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. And, you know, I called the parents and I'm like, they need to check out the material, you know, Um, or you do for them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's shocking. You can tell what actor puts in the work and what doesn't, right? It's very obvious. Luckily, I have a very small roster. Uh, as I say, I'm a you know boutique agency, so I I believe in I always say quality versus quantity. I'm I'm sorry, quantity versus quality. Gosh, that. So my <laughs> roster is really small um, in comparison to most and and land and whatnot. Um, so I know my actors very well. I know what they can do. And then, but also just having been on that casting side and, and, you know, did cat uh, casting for so long. Um, I, I just know what's going to bore them and get them to stop watching right away. And what's not. So a lot of times I'll call up an actor and give them notes and just say, look, you've got to make a different choice right off the bat. Oh, got it. Yeah, I don't sign anyone unless I truly believe in them, you know, because I do sign actors that don't have a lot of experience. But I would say the most for the majority of my roster, they have a lot of experience. Therefore, they're going to book more. Right. Right. You don't have to hold their hand and coach them along too much. Um, Speaking of that group that doesn't have a lot of experience, if you could give. If you had all the aspiring actors um, in a room uh, and you could stand in front of them and give them one piece of advice, what would it be? Huh. 
Um, I, I always say this is so cliche. It's like the three P's, uh, just be patient, persistent, but most importantly, passionate. And others have said that, but it's true. Um, you have to love this business to be in it. It is a business and it is not an easy business. Right. And you have to love it. And if you don't, I question why you're doing it. Um, and you're also not going to, you know, book a lead in a Marvel film. If you have one credit. It's probably not going to happen. Okay. <laughs> so understand the business. Too many don't. And I can expand on this if you'd like. Sure. Let's do it. Because that's hard. That's if I want, I, oh. but really just that. But then to expand, you know, I would just say understand the business, meaning research. Right. Like it is shocking to me how many people on both ends, both sides of the camera, don't do research. Um, it's like, would you walk into a job interview and not research? Well, you know, you probably did research on me and I did a bit on you. Hence knowing about Princess Bride. You know what I mean? Like, right. just it's a business. It's a job, you know. Um, it's not that glamorous, actually. It can be fun, and I, you know, um, or I wouldn't be doing this. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'll, I'll give my my favorite thing to say, and I don't get a chance to say it that often, but when I first started out, I started out in extras casting. Like, we were casting the extras on October Sky, and we cast the extras in the green mile and I think maybe a few principal roles. I don't remember. And, um, very few people these today will work as an extra. They did back then because you don't make a lot of money. It's minimum wage. I think it's like $60 for eight hours. It's horrible. Okay. Right. It's his it, minimum wage hasn't changed in forever. Um, but, and here I'm going to say something that I'm going to, maybe regret, but it's, I think it's important. Um, I spend, so let's say I book someone on doom patrol. Do you okay. know that show or I, no, I don't know that show. Okay. Um, Ozark. Okay. Okay. Let's say I'm, I book someone on Ozark. I'm just, this is not the case by the way, those that I've had on Ozark, this does not apply to them, but let's just pretend. And they've never, they don't have a co-star credit. They just happen to book the role. Um, and they've never been on a, obviously a big set, which is fine. They've done a lot of short films and student films, which I highly encourage all actors to do. Um, short films, student films do as much as you can. Um, but they don't know how to be on a set. So I actually spend up to two hours on the phone with an actor prior to them going on location. And that is two hours of my day that I wish I could spend with my husband. Mm-hmm. So it's my, but it's my choice. I choose to do that. I, I know being a former AD and being in the production world, the last thing you want is an actor wandering around looking for a honey wagon, but doesn't know what a honey wagon is. Mm-hmm. 
So it's mind boggling to me that, that, um, actors are, 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 and I'm not talking about your established actors with a lot of credits. I'm talking about beginning actors that will not go and be an extra on something because when you're an extra on a pro on a big project, you learn what a honey wet, a honey wagon is. You learn, you know, all the walkie, you know, 10, one, 10, two. Oh, oh, did I just say that? Oh my gosh. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, stand, what a stand in is, what a stand in does that all this, right. Um, those yellow signs, um, that is so many people don't understand. And, um, you know, the location signs, um, but I, I spend two hours and I do it because I don't want my actor to be that actor on set fumbling around wondering where the honey wagon is, which is where a lot of co-stars are. That's their room. You know, it's a big, long semi, you know, you probably know a bunch of rooms in it, but also their job is to act. <laughs> so I don't want them to go in, be nervous and not understand. It's intimidating, you know, to, to walk into a big set like Ozark or whatever, right. And some big NBC show or ABC show and 200 crew members. It's very different than the stuff they're used to on short films and student films. And yet they have to know those things. And right. I don't think it should be, I don't know. So, and maybe I, in the time of COVID, they'll they might have to change their approach to honey wagons. But <laughs> yeah, but but well, no, I I, I, I I totally I totally get your point um, on it's on like that. Above, uh, I I I sorry, I interrupted. It, it's there's this sense of oh, I don't want to do extra work. You know, I'm an actor. Well. If you don't have any credits or just short film and, 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 and there's nothing, again, nothing wrong with short film and student film credits. Yeah. You should be an extra. You should get your bum on a big set and, and know what these things are because next thing you know, you will hopefully book a co-star role and then a bigger role, whatever. And you'll know what's going on. You'll know what these things are. Yeah. 100%. And, um, we actually had a great podcast, great, great interview um, guest, uh, Chris Green, who does the life of an actor um, down in Atlanta and L.A. And he said he got his start being an extra and, and just understanding what he was there to do and, and to do the work and, and research the person that's doing the, doing the project. And, and that just helps you as an extra. And he stood out as an extra and started getting parts. So, um I think there are examples of, of exactly what you're saying that exist out there and you've got to start somewhere. You can't have the mindset that you're going, like you said, be the star of a Marvel film with no credits or one credit. Uh, when in fact, um, you can start as an extra and build from there. Um, you, you've been so generous with your time so far. Um, I just have a few more questions. Are you, are you still good? Oh yeah, because I have a long list of stuff to talk about. So I'm I'm here forever long you want me. That's awesome. All right, I'm gonna hit you with some uh, some speed round questions here and see, see if I, oh, how this works out. Uh, why is your nickname Cookie? 
I don't know. Kim Petrosky's associate gave it to me, and I can't remember why. I, well, there were two Kims in a casting office, so that's difficult because um, you have you know hundreds of people calling in a day. Why Cookie? I don't know. I just know that I could never get rid of it because of the small business. Right, yeah. and, it, so. and it kind of stuck. It reminds me of uh, the old Ulysses S. Grant uh uh, secret, which is that there's no S in his name. <laughs> his, uh, it was a it was a typo, and he because he had gotten famous graduating from West Point, he couldn't fix it. He tried to fix it, and it was cost him more money to fix the mistake than to just write it out. And so history remembers him as Ulysses S. Grant, and uh, there is no S in his name. Uh, <laughs> and speaking of middle names, uh, what does the D stand for in your name? So you're Kimberly D. McRae. What is the D? Um, um, I don't know why I'm laughing so much. I, I, I laugh when I get not. I like, I like you laughing. That's good. Sometimes <laughs> the inappropriate times and I have a horrible laugh. But um, um, I, I, I laugh in this case because I actually can't pronounce my middle name. <laughs> <laughs> that is very interesting. Um, it is Dawn. I think it has something to do with my Midwestern accent, D-A-W-N. But mm-hmm. I usually say it like Don, like D-O-N. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, I, I grew up with a guy, and he was like a protector for me in high school when I was very small going into high school. And if you heard it, you would think that his name was Ron, so R-O-N, right? Right. But, but in fact, his name was Ron R-A-W-N, which made him all the more intimidating to other people. <laughs> so he, he did not mess with Ron Edwards. Right. No. Uh, so if you're out there, Ron, thank you. Thank you for uh, keeping me from getting my ass kicked in the locker room at football practice so many times. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. So why, why wouldn't you be able to pronounce, is it just because it's that Dawn and, yeah. and, and you, you have a phon- phonetically sort of, <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Uh, why? Why are you obsessed with Hallmark films? And what's your favorite Hallmark film of all time? Well, I don't want to be. Um, let me just. And by the way, I, I don't think there'll be any Hallmark movies this Christmas because oh, they no. shoot, you know, in the spring. <laughs> you know, and with what with, with no filming going on, I don't know. You know, they'll probably have a bunch of repeats. Um, that goes back to Grandma and Brian. And, but after um, Brian and Danielle, um, our niece died on uh, the 19th of December, just, uh, you know, six days before Christmas. And that Christmas, for whatever reason, I found solace in um, Hallmark movies. They were just very comforting. And I don't know how you found out that I like Hallmark movies. Maybe I've posted a bit too much about them on Instagram. But, yes, I do. I find comfort in them. They make me feel Okay, during a very difficult holidays. Is there one that stands up? No, because they're all the same. <laughs> I mean, they are. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, but I'll go as far when I'm submitting on one. This is, and you know, I've yet to book an actor on a Hallmark movie. I don't know what the secret is, you know, on these big shows that come through, I own tell me a story. I think I had nine or 10 bookings and Nashville, 80 some. I just, I don't know what the Hallmark 
I should know. I watched the damn things, but um, I I go as far as when I'm submitting on a breakdown, which often takes hours. If they're like twenty some roles, right? You know, you're not gonna. I'm very because having that casting background, I I kind of know where to put people, mm-hmm. right? Well, even if I didn't, like if you know your actors well enough and what they do and what they play well, you're going to put them in the most bookable role. And sometimes they'll go outside the box and whatever. And, and, and also just not inundate casting and submit every, if the role's female Caucasian 20 to 30, I'm not going to submit all of them. Like you don't do that. That will, a casting director will hate you. Um, but, um, I, Last year, I put up my damn Christmas tree when I was submitting on one and was watching a Hallmark movie. Like, I thought this will get, like, this will do it. Mm -hmm. And I looked like a crazy person. If someone would have come (laughs) into my place, I've got my Christmas tree up in, like, April. And I'm watching a Hallmark movie while I'm submitting on it, thinking that will get me a booking on the show. I just want to see one of my actors in a Hallmark movie. Is it too much to ask? It isn't. I think it's going to happen sooner versus later for sure. Uh, if you had a broken stereo and it would only play one Prince song, what Prince song would it be? Oh, you did your research. Oh, man. He is my everything. <laughs> um, that is hard. Obviously, I think everyone might say purple. I don't know. Ever. But yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard with Prince because he has such a big collection, yes. and there's a lot of obscure songs. And then the songs that were big are like so big that that in a way it's like and not to take anything away from them. It's just that it's just that they're so big that you've heard them a lot. And it's like um, if if I had a broken stereo, I'm not sure I would pick Purple Rain, even though based on the amount of listens. It, it would be clear that that was my favorite Prince song, but because I'd heard it so much, I don't know if I'd want to hear it on repeat forevermore. Uh, I might pick a more obscure Prince song that also had a lot of merit, but didn't necessarily maybe have the, the pop, uh, didn't become a pop phenomenon. So, um, uh, I just, I, I hear, yeah, I hear you. And, and that, and that's why it is a great question. Cause there's so many, but actually, um, I know the name of the song. Um, Controversy. Controversy. That is right. Controversy. Got it. So uh, this this has been a blast. This has been an incredible amount of fun. It's been so revealing and so honest. And uh, I think there's a lot to be learned from it. If you're an actor and you're listening, um, you're hearing it directly from a, a talent agent. You know what the work you need to put in and how you need to present yourself. Can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media and on the internet? Um, yes, I have a website, uh, McCray agency, McCray's my last name, McCrayagency.com, M-C-C-R-A-Y agency.com. And then I think the socials are the same. I don't, I'm not at Twitter, but Instagram is McCray agency at McCray agency or whatever. Um, and Facebook is the same. That's incredible. And before we get out of here, tell me your favorite Carrie Ewells story. Okay. Um, so. And just, and just before you get started, just in case there's some 
ridiculous individual out there that doesn't know that name. He played most famously Wesley in The Princess Bride. So a self-serving question indeed, uh, but uh, served I will be. So, yes, please go ahead with your story. <laughs> and what led to, you know, Thompson, don't name drop, but but when I did my research on you and saw The Princess Bride, I thought, I wanted you to know this story because they always say, you know, don't meet your heroes or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, but also the realities of the industry. There are a lot of things to the story, but I'll make it very quick if, if that's possible for me. And and it will be interesting to see how it is after we come out of what we're in, after co- post-corona or whatever we're going to call it, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, there has always been this unspoken thing, unless you're dead, you're on set. I mean, 21 grams, I had walking pneumonia. I think the Teamsters finally put me in a van and took me to the hospital. But right. unless that's kind of been the thing. You don't call in sick. There's you're, It's just, it's you know, it's pretty brutal. So I'm on this pilot in Nashville about, I don't know, 10 years ago. Never got picked up. Um, which is shocking because Carrie was starring in it and Sam Shepard, who was amazing. Right. Uh, Joey Lauren Adams, Boyd Holberg. It had a nice cast. Um, and, um, Tom's father died and I get the call, um, while I was at base camp, I remember standing there getting the call and, but also knowing I couldn't leave. And um, so I was upset and I was crying and Carrie came out. And I, like, I think I've said I can't do an accent, so I will not even try to do Carrie's. But I love working with British actors. I was fortunate enough to work with a lot of them. And um, I love that accent so much. And he came out and he was like, what's wrong cookie. And again, I'm not going to do the British accent cause I can't, um, what's wrong cookie. And you know, you're trained not to, to, well, you're not trained, but it's kind of, you just know not to tell actors like if something's wrong because they're there to do a job and act and you don't want to get in their head. Right. Right. Um, so I wouldn't tell him at first. And, and finally he was just like, you've got to tell me what's wrong. And I said, well, my, you know, husband's father just died and, and I can't leave, you know, and, um, cause they don't let you like, that's just that, you know, it's not something you can leave work for usually, which is shocking, but often the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he said, can you get me a van? And I knew what that meant. And he went to set talk to the producers. I get a call from my superior to channel two and said, go home. And he came back to base and he said, did they tell you? And I said, yes, I know what you did. I knew what he was going to do the second he got on the van. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and other actors have done this as well. David Schwimmer. And, um, um, there have been a few who will really, Kate Beckinsale, did, who will really, you know, use that power, if you will, that they have um, to protect someone. 
um, or to do the right thing. You know, it's a lovely thing. And, um, and he, um, he had went up to set and said, you know, literally just said to the, let her go home and be with her family. Um, and so I said, yes, thank you. And I'm sorry that, you know, and he's like, don't be sorry. And he just grabs me and hugs me and basically whispered that, you know, family was most important and whatever. And in the, I didn't return to the job, you know, you're kind of, you know, once you leave a job, like they just get someone else, you know? So yeah. it's sad in this industry that, but at the same time, I was so grateful because so many actors wouldn't care, not just actors, anyone. And he cared enough to just, he would, he just went on and on and on wanting to know what was going on but I knew what would happen if I told him and he did it and, and I'll be forever grateful to him. Um, he's a very kind human being and I wish there were more like him. That's fantastic. And, uh, it's, they always warn you never, never meet your heroes. And, uh, he's certainly someone I would love to meet. And it's great to find out that, uh, the, the, image I have of him in my head is, is the reality. So thank you for sharing that story. That, that was really fantastic. And, uh, and thank you for this, this, this time has been, um, amazing. Uh, Art, do you have any parting thoughts for this audience? Yeah. And sorry, the Carrie story, by the way, just, you know, um, I cannot say enough lovely things about that human being like, um, you have to understand, and, and you, I think you know to an extent, but um, this industry really has, like, it's not normal for one to leave and be gone. Like, that very rarely happens, you know. And for an actor to stand up for someone to do that is just, you know, I, I, we can, I'll stop talking about that. Um, it, it was a very powerful moment. For sure. Um, Ah, parting words. I don't know. Um, you know, it was funny. I, when you contacted me, I, I, you know, I had heard some of your podcasts and I, I'm fans of you guys and I, I, I love indie film and I love what you guys do. Um, but the title is what got, I, I, I was like, make it, you know? And, and it's funny because I've always thought, what is it? Mm-hmm. I, I have thought this throughout my career. What is it? Oh, by the way, parting words, I think the most important thing is just be kind. Mm-hmm. Be kind. Um, the producer assistant on a show I worked with is now CEO of Funny or Die. Right. A director assistant I worked with is now a very big director. Um, you never know. Right. Yeah, and, and, and just because, too, just be kind. We're living in, you know difficult times right now and people should just be kind. There's a saying that if you're kind in the industry, you don't get far and it's just not true. Um, so, but part, but, uh, so that would be it. And then also what is it? So to actors, I would say, what is it? What do you want? What is that? It, that thing, because it's going to change. 
And also, whatever that is, whether it's, okay, I want to book a guest star role now, or I want a series regular, all of that stuff that's with you right now is going to be with you when you get to it. When I have an Oscar-winning actress crying and thinking she's never going to work again, right, and I'm talking about back in my production days, I've witnessed it and we all know it. Like those things don't just magically disappear when you're making a lot of money or whatever, right? So to me, it's about being in the present and you can have goals and all of these things, but it's going to be ever changing and just be kind and do your research and Yes, you can know what it is, but know that it's going to change. That's fantastic. And I think it's great advice. Please, everyone, take heed. And Cookie, I hope to see you out uh, when we're all free to roam the country again, whenever that time may be, and we all feel well enough to do that. And um, and I know that uh, I have an advocate in you, and likewise on this journey in independent film and in film in general and in the pursuits of creativity. So I wish you the best of luck, nothing but luck and great prosperity for the rest of this year and in the future. To you too, Chris. Thank you so much. Anytime. Talk soon. All right. Talk soon. All right. Be good. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It, Banzai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Banzai Creative and Facebook by searching for Banzai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, Go to www.bonsai.film and click on Book Us to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.